this was in the early days of the church, uh, they, all they'd ever known was a system of sacrifices and off, you know, all these different um, religious practices. And you know, we, we can look at that however we want, but the reality is there, there's some appeal to that for us, right? There's some appeal to tradition, to the things that we're familiar with. Right. When you go to a, uh, a restaurant you've been to before, are you one of those people that always orders something new and different? Or do you find the, I look, I, this is me, I look through all the menu and I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. And maybe I'll try this. I'm getting the chimichanga like I always do. <laughs> but I'm going to read through the menu and act like I'm going to order something new. So there's, there's some appeal to the familiar, right, to tradition. And that's basically what was happening is the early days of the church, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot in flux and, and um, you know, a lot of questions. And th- it's not like they had, um, you know, the whole New Testament completed for them so they could look at it and go, okay, this is it, the clear answer. Uh, so that's part of why Hebrews was written is there was a Jewish Christian who, who saw that uh, this was a problem for other people who had that same background. And he wrote it or he or she wrote it to them. Now, uh, it doesn't mean it's not good for us, right? Sometimes uh, we'll hear advice that was given from a doctor to a patient, and we're like, oh, that was given to them. But, yeah, it still applies to you, right? Um, so, anyway, that's wha- what we're going to kind of dig into. We're going to cover a few of the verses that Pastor Scotty covered last week, and then we'll go in a little bit further. But before we do all that, let's pray, let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you this morning for giving us another opportunity to study your holy word. Um, God, that we know that you inspired the authors of these books to, um, to speak truth, not just to the people of their time, but to people of all times, and, and it includes us. So we pray that you would help us to understand it, to, to see the truth here in it. Lord, what we interpret correctly, let us be transformed by it. And, and God, if I get it, any of it wrong, uh, we just pray you, uh, you forgive us and, and wipe that from our minds and replace it with a zeal to come back and get it right next time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, the, the kind of the theme of this, this letter is, you know, don't go back. Don't put yourself back into bondage that Jesus set you free from, right? Don't uh, it, you get always be moving forward. So we're going to read a, a few verses that uh, Scotty hit last week. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Says God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. If you're a note taker, you might underline that. We're going to hit that a little bit more later, but did you know that Jesus is the creator? Maybe, maybe it's just me, but growing up, I pictured God as an old man with a long beard, and he created everything, and Jesus is the, you know, the son, and, and he found out about it later or something. But it turns out that Jesus was not just involved, but he is the creator, through whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, my son Christian one time told me that 
God was left-handed. And I'm like, how, did, how pray tell, do you know this? And he says, because Jesus sits on his right hand. And so he must do everything left-handed. <laughs> Christian's in his 20s now. He was much younger when he told me that. But so uh, he himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, Hebrews 10, I think it's verse 10 or 11, says that every priest stands stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, right? The, the priests in the temple uh, stood the whole time they were working in the temple, constantly offering those sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So they're in the tabernacle and in the temple. There was a mercy seat, which was the, like the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. But other than that, there were no chairs. There was no place to sit because a priest's job was never done. But for Jesus, the high priest, the great high priest, the work was done. The price is paid and salvation is forever secured. And so he can sit down. There's no need for us to do anything but just believe and receive the free gift of eternal life. And so that's better than the old system that, that the Hebrew Christians operated under. Right? It's better than anything we've seen before. It's better. It's the theme of the rest of this chapter and really most of this book is that Jesus is better than whatever it is that we default back to. And specifically in this chapter, the author is going to talk about how Christ is better than the angels. So verse 4, it says, Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now again, we've got to keep in mind the audience of this letter, right? For us, most of us, it's not a big debate, right? Jesus is more important, is better than an angel. Right? Well, most of us would agree with that. But the Jewish people held angels in very high esteem. Right? They, uh, they embroidered them on the veil of the temple and, and on the mercy seat and on the Holy of Holies. And, and they, they saw them as, as very important. Uh, they believed that the angels had you know, been the delivery system that God used to give the law to Moses. Uh, the angels were involved in the exodus from Egypt. And so they... In their minds, it was people, priests, prophets, angels, God. And now Jesus is this new development, this new idea in their minds. Now Jesus is not new. He's, you know, he didn't, God didn't come up with the idea of a son along the way. But to them, they're trying to sort all of this stuff out. And the author says, just so we're clear, angels are great. Jesus is better. All the ways that God communicated in the Old Testament, they pale in comparison to the fullness of God walking among us in the person of Jesus. He's, he's better than the prophets. He's better than the voice in the whirlwind. He's vo better than the, bu the burning bush in the wilderness. He's better than all of that. And so like I said, in our time, in our culture, it's not hard to we, we don't argue that point for the most part right yeah jesus is better than angels 
But if we accept that angels are lesser beings than Jesus, isn't it funny that the things that we know are less than Jesus, we allow to eclipse Jesus in importance or in, in our attention sometimes. Right? We, I know my job is less important than Jesus. But sometimes it's my main focus, and it, it's taking a higher place in my life than Jesus. I know uh, this problem is less than Jesus, but it's all I can think about and obsess over it and worry about. And that doesn't mean those things aren't important. Right, in an eclipse, what, like when we have a, a lunar solar eclipse, right? The moon kind of blocks out the sun for a little while. The moon is so much smaller than the sun, but it, there's it, it. We it's in this position where all of a sudden now it's all we can see, and that's part of what this author is talking about, right? When we 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 say, well, we're not Hebrew Christians. Well, we're still Christians. We're still people who allow other things to eclipse our God to take over a place of importance that isn't theirs. So are, are things in the right order? Now, I, like I said, he's talking about angels, and he's going to say a few more things ab- uh, about angels as we read on. But, you know, we don't get to talk about them often enough, and we get a lot of questions about angels. Uh, movies have all kinds of wild ideas about angels. Uh, so we're gonna, I want to inform you a little bit about angels as best I can. Did you know that, uh, according to the Barnett Institute, more people believe in angels than believe in God? How does that work? I don't understand that one, right? There are more people who believe in angels than who believe in the the God who created the angels. There's there's 34 books in the Bible that mention angels, right? And, And 17 in the Old Testament, 17 in the New Testament. And they're mentioned around 300 times. So that's a pretty important thing, right? It's something that's brought up multiple times in the Bible. The problem is we get into some of the questions and ideas about, well, what about this? What about that with angels? And the problem is that angels are not the topic nor the audience that the Bible was intended for, right? So so there are some questions we don't have the answers to, but there are some we do. Uh, the word angel, it's in the, in the Greek, it's angelos, uh, which just, it means one who is dispatched or messenger. So there are a couple times where that word is used, and it's not talking about a spiritual being, you know, that's doing supernatural things. It means a person who's carried a message. They're also called holy ones in Psalm 89. They're called spirits. In, here in Hebrews and elsewhere. In Daniel 4, he calls them watchers. That's a little creepier to me. Ephesians and Colossians, Paul refers to them as dominions and principalities and powers, and he has all kinds of names for them. But we know in, uh, through Ezekiel and Isaiah and a few other places, there are different types of angels. Uh, there's the cherubim, not the little fat babies. I, that's a different thing. That's not actually a biblical thing, but the cherubim, uh, these are like the special forces angels, right? They, they guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve were cast out. 
flaming sword uh, in Genesis 3. And they were, uh, as we got that picture there, they were, they were um, put on the, the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. As, you know, they're the, one, they're the guards, right? These are the ones you don't want to mess with a cherubim. I don't think you want to mess with any angel, but especially the cherubim. Um, then there's also the seraphim, which is, uh, they're described with having like multiple wings, and I don't know if that's what they look like, but that's what we came up with. Um, they seem to minister to the throne of God in heaven. Uh, they, they're the ones that call out, holy, 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 at the throne uh, is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. You know, that's, that's part of what they're doing. Uh, they're also very impressive beings. The weirdest ones, I didn't even bother putting a picture in here for this, is Revelation 5 and Ezekiel 1 talks about these things called the, the four living creatures. There's some form of angel that, uh, they're unique. They have four faces, a face of a lion, an ox, a man, and a, and uh, what was the other one, an eagle. Yeah, you draw that and tell me what that's supposed to look like. Uh God created them is the important part, right? And they are immortal beings. They never die. Genesis 2 uh, says that thus the heavens and earth and all the hosts of them were finished, right? God created them at some point in the creation process of, of the heavens and the earth. And we don't know exactly when that was, um, but we know they were made before man because of a little blurb here in, in the book of Job, chapter 38. Incidentally, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. If you've ever read the book of Job, you know, Job goes through it, man. He goes through some stuff. And we, we look at Job and we're like, oh, look how faithful he was because he trusted God through all of that. But Job reaches a breaking point. And Job says, God, it would have been better if I'd never been born. You know, what, what are you thinking? And God says, oh, oh, you know so much. Job 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, he's like, who's the dummy who said this dumb thing? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched out uh, the line upon it? To what were its foundations fashioned? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So somewhere in that creation process, the angels saw what was happening and shouted for joy. So they saw some of creation. So we know they weren't the last thing, right? The point is, they're a separate kind of creation. They're a separate thing than people. Uh, so that's a misconception some people have, right? When you die, you don't go to heaven and grow wings and become an angel. Angels are, are different than people. And despite what movies might tell you, angels don't fall in love and and reproduce, and all of that stuff. In Matthew 22, there's this scene where the, the Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up, and they're talking about, okay, this person was married, and, some, and then their spouse died, and now they're remarried, so in heaven, who will they be married to? 
since you, you know, if you know so much, tell us. In Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You're mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Right? We'll be like them in that, uh, you know, there's no marriage and reproduction and all of that. Uh, but we're not the same. The Bible gives us the names of three angels. First, we've got Michael, and he's called an archangel, and people have ideas of what that means. We don't know other than it's a high position, right? He's, he's an important angel. Uh, Jude 9 calls him that, and, and from what we can tell, he's kind of like a, like the superhero, the protector of the Israelites, right? He, he is, you know, uh, things are going down when God sends Michael on the scene, right? Michael is no joke. Uh, he, there's a couple times he, you know, we see him fighting. He fights with uh, one of the other angels that's named Lucifer, right? Lucifer is, uh, means son of the morning or light bearer, the day star, the shining star. So Michael and he seem to be similarly, uh, similar power. And there's another one, Gabriel. He's the, he's the one who gave Mary the news about Jesus. He seems to be more the messenger of, of the three. That doesn't mean the other angels don't have names. They're just not written down for us because that's not what the Bible is about. Those are the three that we know. How many there are, we don't know. The author of Hebrews says that they're innumerable. Right? We can't even count them. Revelation 5, verse 11 says this. It says, Then I looked... And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I'm not great at math, but that means, that means it's at least 100 million, probably more. The, the point is, uh, you know, the author of Revelation is saying, it's this number too big to count. Maybe it's billions. I don't know. But they're, we know they're spirit beings. Right? They uh, are non-corporeal. They uh, means, you know, for the most part they don't have a body, but sometimes in certain situations God allows them to take on a physical form. Um, sometimes they're in our presence and we don't even realize it. In Hebrews 13, it says that uh, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels unaware or without realizing it. Right? There have been times that people have been around angels and didn't know it. There's other times when they kind of reveal more of what they really look like. And people, almost every time you see people hit the ground and tremble in fear. That tells me they don't look like normal people normally, right? When, they, when people see a seraphim or a cherubim, they want to get away, right? They're, they're scary to them because they're so different. Uh, other times, there have been times where people have gotten to see them, like I said, in the, in the spiritual realm, gotten to see a glimpse of what's going on that's not in our physical realm that we can't see all the time. One of my favorite examples of this is in 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, 
in, in First and Second Kings, you, you, there's two main prophets we, we get to see. There's Elijah and then Elisha, uh, who was his like predecessor. And Elisha and his assistant are, are they're hiding out from the Syrians, and, and they've gotten surrounded in this little town, this little village that they're in. And Elisha's assistant, he starts to panic. And he's like, what are we going to do? There's an army around us, and there's just the two of us. And, and, and Elisha says, don't worry. Uh, it's not what it looks like. In 2 Kings 6, verse 16, it says, So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there are things happening spiritually that we don't always see physically, is, is the, the point, right? And there's other examples where Abraham uh, ate dinner with a couple of angels and, and the Lord and, and didn't realize it at the time. Uh, there were angels at Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a story if you want to do a little digging. Uh, angels that fought on behalf of Israel from time to time. Uh, there, were, there was an angel that released Peter from prison. There was an angel at the empty tomb of Jesus. Uh, that one kind of cracks me up because he seems to take a little bit of joy in scaring the guards. Because, you know, cause they seems, it seems they can choose when they reveal what they look like and when they don't. And he makes sure he reveals that, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of angel. I'm him. Um, they're powerful. There's an example in the Old Testament where one angel kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Which really adds some weight to that, that claim, you know, when, when Jesus says, look, I don't lay, you're not taking me in. I'm, I'm voluntarily going in. I could call down legions and legions of angels, like, like thousands of angels, and one angel could kill 185,000. That was a serious, like, that's a, ma- a weapon of mass destruction, right? So, yeah, they're powerful. They can do all of that. They stand in God's presence. They serve God to carry out his will in all sorts of ways. They serve, but Jesus reigns. That is the difference. Hebrews 1, verse 4, we'll read on. It says, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. He's quoting Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7, I think. Um, God never spoke that way about any of the angels, right? Jesus is something different. He says, you are my son. Verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. He is higher, he is better than the angels. You guys worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, this is God the Father saying to the Son, he says, your throne, what? O God. God the Father says to the Son, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So he's quoting Psalm 110, which incidentally is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. But God the Father calls the Son God. So no matter what Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons may teach, Jesus is God. Right? God the Father recognizes Jesus as God. And he says that you, you have a scepter of righteousness. That's what your kingdom is going to be known for or personified by. So one day Jesus is going to judge everything fairly from his throne. In his kingdom, there's nobody who can ever claim that the judgment was unfair. Right? Or the, the evidence wasn't clear. Right? Because he knows all things and his judgments are righteous and true. Verse 9, he says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Jesus is anointed with the oil of gladness more than your companions, more than anyone. Jesus doesn't hate fun, okay? Uh, but he is also known a, as a man of sorrows. He doesn't hate fun, but he, he hates that sin brings pain, and it brings decay, and it brings death. But even though he's a man of sorrows, he's sorrowful for what sin is doing to the ones he loves the most, he still had this air of, of gladness about him more than anyone ever. He radiated gladness and joy. There was something you ever met someone like that where you just feel good being around them? Like they just kind of raise the spirit of the room. I'm I'm kind of the opposite. I'm like Eeyore, you know. I bring it down, but there are people who bring the, the energy of the room up. You just you feel good being around them. And Jesus was that more than anyone ever. And I think there's a reason, there, well, I know there's a reason, but I think the reason is this, right? Because he said that he loves righteousness and he hates lawlessness. I think holiness brings happiness. And sin brings sorrow, and it's always that way. In Jesus, there's no sin, there's only holiness, and that brings happiness. So you want to have joy, love righteousness, and hate lawlessness. Love what God loves, and see if things don't change for you. Verse 10, it says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Right? He's better than anything in creation because he is the creator. Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So angels... Their main job is to minister to those of us who will inherit salvation. How do they do that? How do they minister? Daniel, again, he says that they're watchers. They watch us. 
they guard and protect. They intervene in all sorts of ways. You ever been through an experience where you walk away and go, how did I get through that? It doesn't make sense. Maybe the angel just pushed your car just a little bit. The Bible says that when we worship, they join in with us. And they rejoice when one person comes to repentance. When one person trusts in Jesus, they rejoice. They don't understand it, it tells us. They're, they're not quite sure this relationship that God has with us, that it's a different relationship than he has with them. But they rejoice. And, and so God loves you so much that he sends out these powerful, powerful spiritual beings to minister to you. The one for whom Jesus died in order to purchase your salvation. I'm going to read one more verse in the next chapter. It's this, Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, whenever you see that word, what are you supposed to do? You should see what it's there for, right? It's referring back to what happened prior to that verse. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. We need to stay anchored in the truth that Jesus is better than whatever it is that has been keeping my attention. Whatever it is that I've been turning to for comfort. He is better than whatever old tendencies and habits I find myself slipping back into. He's so much better that he sent these beings that we think are so powerful and important to minister to us. Look, life can be difficult to understand. Uh, There's a lot about angels that we don't understand because the gospel isn't about them. Uh, It's about you and the one who loves you more than you love yourself. And one day we'll know more. I know this, though. If you're a believer, you will spend eternity in heaven with the angels. And you can ask away to your heart's content. If you're not a believer, you'll spend eternity in hell with fallen angels. The gospel isn't about angels, it's not about demons, it's not about prophets or miracles or any of that stuff. It's about this, that God sent his son into this world to pay for our sin and to give us eternal life. And he gives us the choice to embrace that, uh, to trust him and make him Lord, uh, or to reject him and to go our own way. And the author of Hebrews says, I want more than anything for you to remember that he is better than whatever it is you're choosing over him. So I'm going to pray for us. If you could, just bow your heads with me. And if if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never chosen to make him your Lord, you could pray something like this. And now it's not these words, but it's the the thought behind it, that it's the intent. But you can say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. I trust my soul into your hands. Come into my life and, and help me to live for you. And if you've trusted him for that, 
you have eternal life. For the rest of us, if you've already done that, you've already trusted Jesus, there's still a message for you. God, help us to stay anchored in the truth, to walk more closely in your steps. Lord, help us not to let anything else eclipse you in our lives. Lord, we know that you are better than all things. And you you want what's best for us. So Lord, we, we open up our hearts and our lives. And we ask that you pour into us. And we will do our best to pour it out into your world. We pray that your will would be done and that you come and you come quickly. And all God's people said, amen. All right, ready? Break.